It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MOB Pipelines. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. The top 50 draft prospects list was released this morning as we record this on Wednesday. We're going to dive into the list, including a mini mock draft serpentine style because that's the only way Jim Callis will agree to do them. Also, Jerry Depoto is busy again. We'll talk about the prospects who are headed to the Seattle Mariners organization. But first... We're excited to have Adley Rutschman joining the pod. He's the number one guy on that top 50 draft list. Adley, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, first question for you, Adley. You are number one on that list, so how do you handle just the added attention that goes with that as you get ready for well, ready to defend a championship at Oregon State? Um, you know, the, our focus as a team at Oregon State uh, has always been that, uh, just a team focus and uh, keeping your focus you know, on all the individuals around you and, uh, you know, focusing on making yourself the best person you can be, uh, working as hard as you can. It, you know, it takes care of all that stuff, and, you know, you don't really notice anything else that's going on around you. Adley, Jim Callis here. You know, as a, as a freshman, I think you batted around 230 with two homers. Last year you batted over 400, a lot more home runs. I think you had a school record, RBIs. What was the difference for you offensively from one year to the next? Was it any adjustments you made? Was it getting more comfortable at the college level? I mean, when you make that jump from high school to college, do you have to focus on the defensive responsibilities of catching? What, what do you think made the difference between 2017 and 2018? Uh, you know, I think uh, a lot of guys, you see big jumps from uh, freshman to sophomore, uh, sophomore to junior, just because of you know, the knowledge of the game, uh, understanding how pitchers are going to throw you, uh, and just kind of getting accustomed uh, to the pitching you see. Um, so you're going to see a jump with, you know, with everyone as far as, you know, just getting a little older and a little more mature. Um, and then also, you know, combine that with uh, some, you know, adjustments as far as the swing goes, mentality. Um, I think uh, that stuff combined, um, you know, puts you in a good spot to hit a lot better than you did the, the year before, kind of that process-oriented mindset. I think it's Jonathan Mayo. Uh... I was curious just about the process of, of you finding just finding the time to get all of your work in. You know, it's, it's hard enough to hit, it's hard enough to catch, but you, you do both, and you're a switch hitter also. How, how do you find the time to get all the reps in that you need? Uh, it's just it's you know managing your time and then uh, also understanding what you need to get better at. Uh, a lot of the uh, stuff we do at Oregon State is you know based on doing you know a lot of things. Um, every day instead of, you know, one thing for an hour a day. Um, you know, all the catching drills, uh, hitting work we do, you don't need to do it for three hours a day. Uh, but if you do it consistently and, you know, have a you know a routine in which you do it in uh, that gets you better, then uh, you can find the time to do it all. Adley, I, I talk about all the time on this podcast about how the, the College World Series is one of my, my, is my favorite baseball event of the year. And last year was one of the more dramatic turnarounds that I'd ever seen. What was it like? I mean, what were the emotions? Have you ever had such a sudden change of emotions to, you know, King Grenier's up at the plate, 
you know, elimination game for you in the finals against Arkansas. It's a, it's a foul pop that if it's caught, Arkansas is a national champion. It drops. Grenier gets the game-tying signal. Trevor Larnick gets the go-ahead home run. And then you guys are rolling to a national championship. But what was the mood like in the dugout when you were guys that were literally down to your, your last at-bat, and then a couple batters later you've taken the lead, and, and then the next day you win the national title? Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. I've never uh, experienced anything like it. Uh, it's special, and just to, I think the most, you know, the most special thing about it is is the group of guys that you get to share it with, um, and you know that memory is going to last with us for a long time. And um, you know the guys on that team are still so close, and you know the fact that we, you know, that was the last time that team's ever going to get to play together again, and the fact that we uh, got to play together as long as we possibly could was. Uh, was unbelievable. So, you know, it's just it's an experience that you cherish. And um, just to have that emotion to, you know, to come with that experience, uh, something else, you know, and it, it almost makes it better that we had to go through that. I mean, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, sort of the rest of the draft class, but uh, particularly I don't remember a time where there were two college catchers rated as highly at this point. Uh, as there there is right now, we have you at number one on our top fifty. Shea Langliers is 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 number four. You guys got to play together, uh, you know, for for a bit for the collegiate national team for USA Baseball. Uh, what was that like? You know, would, would you compare notes with each other? Is there a little bit of a, a friendly rivalry there? Um, I, you know, I think uh, going back to it, uh, you know, you're focused on being the best, you know, best person, best catcher best player that you can possibly be for yourself. And, uh, you know, I, there's no comparison going on between, you know, one person or the other. And, um, and you know, I was fortunate enough to play with a lot of great guys on Team USA. Um, Shea was, you know, he was a guy who actually grew up in uh, Vancouver, Washington, just north of Portland. So uh, kind of cool to share that as well, that, uh, you know, he grew up in the Northwest a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think uh, – just to be around such good guys on Team USA uh, made for the experience to be a lot better, and and also just um, you know friendships that are going to go you know and last a long time. So I still keep in touch with a lot of those guys, um, and I know you know Shea is a phenomenal human being. You know, same goes for all the guys on USA. Badly, do you miss football at all? I mean, I know your freshman year you, you, you kicked a little bit. You, you played uh, linebacker in, in high school. I was on MLB Network's Hot Stove this morning, and a proud Oregonian, uh, Harold Reynolds, pointed out your grandfather, I think, is the winningest college football coach in, in Oregon history at Linfield. Do, do you miss football at all? Do you, you kind of wish you could get out there and at least kick this fall, or is it easy to put that behind you? I mean, there's, there's a part of you when you go out to a football game on a Saturday that um, you know, you do miss it because, you know, you, you think that you could be helping out the, you know, the Oregon State team. Uh, at least I hope I could. Um, but um, just to, you know, just to have that experience was, was amazing. Um, but, you know, they got a lot of – you miss the people on the team as well, uh, the camaraderie. Uh, a lot of great guys I still talk to on the football team. Um, and so just to, you know, see them go out there and, and compete is, is kind of hard. Um hard to watch because you, you wish you'd be out there. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, it was a good decision to just play baseball. So, um, you know, I don't beat myself up too much. All right, Adley, it's now time for the fastball segment of the podcast. So these are some quick answer type questions, and we're going to start with the football stuff. Should your tackle right. of Kevin Abel, back when you guys clinched the College World Series, have merited a 15-yard penalty in football? 
Um, well, I, mm, I hope not because he's on my team. Uh, <laughs> might have been a little confusing, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, one more football for you. Who holds the Oregon State high school record for the longest field goal, and how long was it? All right. <laughs> well, I hope it's still me as far as I know. Um, it was 63 yards at uh, halftime in a semifinal game. Oh, wow, that's extra information. I didn't realize it was a playoff game. Yeah, 2015 63-yarder. That's impressive stuff, and obviously you got it done with the leg for a year at Oregon State as well. All right, on to baseball. Current Major League pitcher you would most like to catch? Mm, I think uh, to say I caught a roll to Chapman would be, would be pretty cool. Um, you know, especially if I came out of there with uh, no broken fingers or anything of that sort. So yeah, um, I think that'd be pretty cool. A little extra padding in the glove for that one. All right, uh, this is multiple choice, one or the other, catching the final out of a no-hitter or hitting a walk-off home run. Oh, gosh. Um, that's tough. Uh, if I'm going with the team aspect, uh, let's go with the uh, no-hitter. Um, I think that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, and I've never been a part of it either. You know, I've seen I've seen walk-off home runs before, but I've never seen the no-hitter. So I think that'd be pretty cool. All right, uh, back to Oregon State. Some trivia for the university: What popular ice cream topping was invented in Corvallis at Oregon State? Is this is this a true fact or? It is a true fact, and it's definitely the toughest question of the segment. Wow. Okay, I might have to think about this a little bit. Um, is it is it something you'd think would come out of? Uh, Oregon? Um, no, I don't think so. Hmm. Sprinkles? No, close. Well, anything would have been close to topping, I guess. No, maraschino cherries, believe it or not. Really? Oh, yeah. ch- cherries. All right. I, I think cherries, that makes some sense. All right. There you go. Yeah. All right. Final question for you in this segment. Who would you take number one in the draft come June? <laughs> This is a loaded question. I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> All right. Well, we thought we would ask at least and see just how uh, how confident you wanted to go with that one. Thank you so much, Adley, for joining us. Great stuff. And uh, good luck this spring with Oregon State and obviously on to the rest of your career. Thank you guys very much for having me. All right, guys, let's talk big picture as far as the top 50 draft list goes. I know you put a ton of time into this up against the deadline every year, and it all got out there this morning as we record this on Wednesday. Um, Let's talk strengths. That's always a good place to start. Jonathan, I'll go to you first. You look at this top 50 and this crop as a whole. What are the strengths coming in June? Uh, It's all all hitting, you know. Uh, And it's really interesting because I think – Often, uh, you know, at this point on the list, it's, it's evenly mixed, or maybe even there's more arms, and people are, you know, we talk to scouts, and they're, you know, pleading for there to be more bats to separate themselves come the spring, and this year it is the opposite. Uh, a lot of hitters at the very top. Um, you know, I think it's the first six are, are all hitters. Um, four of them are college position players. There usually aren't that many college position players, so that's something that uh, the teams are very excited about, these guys who might be able to move quickly. And then the arms uh, are few and far between at the top, and, and there are question marks surrounding most of them. 
It is interesting uh, as far as the arms go. Jim, there's always a chance some of these guys can move up, obviously, in the spring. But one of the interesting things about the arms is the number one guy, Carter Stewart, was drafted in the top ten a year ago. Yeah, no, you're right. And, like, I mean, there's still a lot of questions surrounding him because he filed a grievance uh, after not signing with the Braves that <laughs> you can – I don't know if you talk to scouting directors much about him, Jonathan. Nobody can figure out why the grievance hasn't been resolved. Like, like this, right. it shouldn't take as long as it has. But nobody knows what the state of his grievance is going to be. Nobody knows if – you know, he has not officially enrolled at Eastern Florida State Junior College. Um, nobody's quite sure how healthy he is because after he hurt his wrist last spring – he was not as effective, and that led to the breakdown in negotiations with the Braves. So, I mean, there's your top pitching prospect for this. You know, a healthy Carter, Carter Stewart you know, has the best curveball in the draft. He's got a really good fastball, too. I mean, he's really exciting, but nobody's seen him pitch since last spring. Nobody's really seen him at the best, you know, since he hurt his wrist. And there's a lot of questions around him, and as Jonathan mentioned, around really – you know, not as many questions as around necessarily Carter Stewart, but there's a lot of questions really about all the top pitchers in this draft. I mean, if you're looking at the four-year guys, there's no – I think our highest-rated four-year college right-hander is Tyler Dyson, and he's 30th. And our lefties, we've got Graham Stinson, who's been primarily a reliever in college at Duke. We've got Zach Thompson, who missed half of last year with an injury that didn't require surgery. And we got Nick Dolo, who is the highest unsigned player from the draft three years ago. And he hasn't, you know, he was supplemental first-round pick and he hasn't really dominated college baseball like people thought. So, you know, the high school side, you know, kind of similar stuff. You know, Brennan Malone is our top-ranked high school guy, and he's got really good stuff. And, you know, I only saw him pitch a couple times last year. But when I saw him pitch, I mean, he threw hard and got barreled up. And, you know, there's, there's just no slam-dunk pitcher in this crop. Jonathan, obviously things always change a lot between this point when the top 50 comes out and the draft in June. Guys will rise, guys will fall. Um, but when you look at the guys near the top of this list with Adley Rutschman, number one, on the college side, Bobby Wood Jr., number two, on the high school side and his pedigree, and then Andrew Vaughn and what he's done in two years at Cal, it seems like those are three guys that I can't imagine falling very far. It's hard to imagine. Uh, I mean, aside from any injury-related uh, explanation, uh, I think all three of them will will be at or near near the top uh, in in some kind of order. I I suppose if um, Andrew Vaughn goes out and and doesn't hit, then maybe he gets knocked down a spot or two. Uh, but uh, I don't think that any of them would fall that far. Maybe there's a guy or two. Uh, behind them is C.J. Abrams, who's you know incredibly toolsy, uh, shortstop uh, in the high school ranks, you know, goes off in the spring in front of the right people, and uh, maybe he moves up uh, a, a, a little bit more and supplants one of those three. Uh, but that's about it. I you know I, I can't imagine that something would have to go horribly wrong for any of those three to fall out of the top five. I think. Just a big-picture question, Jim, before we get into our serpentine, serpentine draft that everyone's excited about. Rather than rattle off all these names in the order you have them and have you guys draft them, but when you look at the work that goes into this, just talk about what you and Jonathan do to, to put this list together. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's like it's – in a way, I, I think the toughest part of the list is when we do 101 to 100 – or to 200 in May. That always – as we expand it, it, it going forward. But, no, I mean, we – 
basically put together like pretty long fall lists. I think we probably, you know, for the we split the country in half. We probably each had about a hundred candidates uh, in our halves of the country to make the top fifty, and and then we just talked to a ton of of scouts and scouting directors about the players. And yeah, you know, we've seen some of these guys. Although I'm always a little cautious. You know, we're getting brief looks at most of these guys, not to read too much into a guy pitching great for an inning at the Under Armour game or or, or having a bad day and, and holding that against him. But it's, uh, you know, it, it's I don't know. The, the, the top 50 draft, Jonathan, is a little bit easier than doing all the top 30s for the teams that we have coming up. Like, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's it's a lot of work kind of getting organized, but it's I guess in the end it, it feels relatively easy compared to some of the other lists we put together. Yeah, I, I, yeah, certainly don't want to go on some sort of careful what you wish for, uh, but there was definitely a, a a moment when we we got to the end, and I'm like, wait, that's it? Um, you know, because, you know, we have the top 100 overall for pro prospects, and then we'll expand this to 100 and then to 200, and, and the team top 30s, even though it's only 30, uh, we're doing, you know, nine or ten of those lists on our own, so it's a lot more names. Uh, you know, and, and it's all very labor intensive. So yeah, this uh, this was relatively smooth sailing, and and I think uh, Jim, you and I have kind of gotten it. I don't want to say down to a, a science, but we're kind of pretty good at you know figuring out what we have to get done when, and and then uh, uh, you know outside of uh, people yelling at us for for scripts to get in um, for the video, uh, it's, it's, like, maybe? It's, it's very stress free. That was a chance Cisco lookalike screaming at you about scripts. I'm not. I'm not naming any names whatsoever. I'm just saying that certain people are very eager to to get to the words in for for the voiceovers uh, that you get to to hear the the dulcet tones of Tim McMaster for. Little, all fifty. Little inside joke there. All right, let's get to the mock draft, <laughs> and this is not a typical mock draft. Jim has the first pick. Jim, you are not selecting on behalf of the Baltimore Orioles. You are selecting your choice, and you guys are going to go back and forth. So Jim will pick one, four, five, et cetera. Jonathan will be two, three, and then jump to, to six, seven. So we'll go through the top ten. Um, I think that's about as far we can go w- without people really turning off the podcast. So we'll start at the top. Jim, you have the number one choice in the 2019 MLB draft. Yeah, you know, and there, there's some pressure on both of us here because you know the, you mentioned the Orioles; they don't have a scouting director right now. So if either Jonathan or I does a really masterful job, then maybe you know friend of the podcast Michael Elias will hire one of us to be scouting directors. So we, that, that, that's in the back of our heads here as we make these picks. I will take. I, I, this is going to be a big reach since he's number one on our list, but but Adley Rutschman to me would be the clear number one right now if the draft were today. I mean, I like Bobby Wood Jr. and Andrew Vaughn a lot, but if you're looking at those guys as the big three, you know, Rutschman's a switch-hitting catcher. He's got a chance to hit for average and power. He controls the strike zone. He receives really well. He's got great leadership skills. He's got a strong arm. And I, to, to me, he would get the edge. You know, there's there's some mild hitability concerns with Bobby Witt Jr., um, although I think he's a great player. And Andrew Vaughn's a first baseman only. So that's what would separate Rutschman for me. Jonathan, you have number two and three. All right, and this is why I didn't mind not picking first because we you know, could let Jim decide, although I agree that Rutschman is, is the top guy. And I'm going to you know, be kind of boring, and I'm going to take the next two guys uh, because I do think, as of right now, there's been separation uh, of the top three from from the rest of the 
group. So uh, it doesn't matter which order, but I will take uh, Bobby Witt Jr. and Andrew Vaughn. And uh, I think it's a, a great combination of a, a young high school player with upside who has every chance to, to stay uh, at a premium position at shortstop. He's an outstanding shortstop. He's got some power. Uh, I, I'm not too concerned with you know, the, the, the some small issues uh, with the hit tool. He's really smart. He loves to play the game. One of the things I think that really makes him stand out, uh, and I got to see him in, in, in Tournament of Stars and see him in various All-American games, is he, it doesn't matter where, where it is. You know, it, it could be playing an All-American game or an international competition, or it could be like a non-conference game uh, back home at Colleyville Heritage High School, and he plays exactly the same way. There's just a, a passion and love for the game with all these really, really uh, good tools. And, uh, you know, growing up uh, son of a big leaguer, uh, I think, you know, he has an idea of what lays ahead for him. Uh, so I think uh, lies ahead for him. So I think that uh, he may even be the kind of high schooler that can, I'm not going to say rush through a minor league system, but, but move at a decent clip. And then Andrew Vaughn, last year's uh, Golden Spikes Award winner, he just flat out hits. And, he, you know, he might be the best all-around hitter. We give him, you know, 60s on his hit and power. It's legitimate power. Uh, yes, he's a first baseman only and a, and a right-handed first baseman. So the uh, the bat's going to have to play, but it's going to. And if I'm a team, you know, picking up, you know, near the top, and you want a guy with with an advanced approach who could move quickly. Uh, I think Andrew Vaughn's your guy. I think he's a kind of college hitter uh, who you know could spend a year in the minors and then he's impacting your big league lineup. All right, back to you, Jim. And this is going to be interesting because so far it's been chalk for you guys through one, <laughs> two, and three. But number four. On the list is Shea Langoliers, another catcher. And, Jim, you took a catcher in the top spot. Are you just going to load up a roster with catchers and, and depth, or are you going to go a different direction? Oh, I see. So I'm, I'm picking all for one team. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really know that for sure, but yeah. it, it was a good segue. <laughs> Even if that were the case, I mean, I, I, would, I will stick up the middle. I, 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 I could take any of the guys we have at four, five, and six here in just about any order at four and five. I, I will. They're all guys I wrote up because they're in my part, my half of the country. I will. I will. I mean, I don't know if it really matters what order I take them in for. I guess if I'm trying to slot them for bonus purposes, but um, I'm just going to stick with the order we have I, again because I kind of helped put these guys in order. They were all in my half of the country. I'll take Shea Langoliers, the catcher out of Baylor, at four. I think there there are some questions about his back. He hit 258 last year, but he hit well as a freshman. He hit well at the end of the year. He hit well with Team USA when he was on on the collegiate team with Adley Rutschman. He's not he's he's below Adley Rutschman as a hitter, but he's a better defender. He's got a stronger arm. They're probably comparable receivers. I think he's going to hit for average with solid power. Um, and be a potential gold glove catcher. So I'll take Shea Langoliers four, and then I'll stick with C.J. Abrams. I'll stick with my up-the-middle strategy here, I guess. He's a guy who gets compared to D. Gordon a little bit. Um, he can really, really run. He might be as fast as any player in the draft or any of the top prospects in the draft. He's got some real hitting ability as well. I don't think he'll be a big power guy, but he's not just a slappy guy. He can he can drive the ball on occasion. You could be looking at a, a 10 to 15 homer guy with, with 40-plus steals because he can really fly. And I think the question is where he plays on the diamond, although he's got a chance to stay at short. 
And if it's not shortstop, then it, it, it's center field, you know, which is also, you know, not the easiest position to fill. So I'll just stick with, with Shea Langoliers, the Baylor catcher at four, and C.J. Abrams, the Georgia high school shortstop at five. I'm just thinking back to the summer Team USA with Adley Rutschman and Shea Langoliers as their catcher. It's how you figure that out as far as playing time goes, but uh, that's a pretty good spot. That has to be some sort of best combo ever for a, for an amateur Team USA situation. Uh, just impressive stuff. Moving on to number six. Jonathan, you're up six and seven. Will we see a pitcher go in one of these two picks? You will not. That means you're um, going to go off chalk, though, so I like that. Right. I will have to go off chalk, chalk. And I'm going to uh, – I'll, I'll, take, I'll take Josh Young from, from Texas Tech uh, next uh, to, to stay on, on chalk just for, for, for one more pick. Uh, there's a reason uh, you know, we lined him up, as Jim said, the way we did, and uh, good, good hit and power combination. Uh, you know, he's not overwhelmingly athletic, but he should be able to stay at third. Uh, so, and, and he's got that offensive profile uh, that I think you know, will fit well in another guy because of a really good approach at the plate uh, and ability to use all fields, uh, that he could move uh, relatively quickly. Uh, and, and so I look for that. And then I'm going to take Riley Green, who is probably the best uh, high school hitter just in terms of overall hit tool, not you know, overall player. Obviously, we have Bobby Witt Jr. and C.J. Abrams ahead of him in the rankings, but just in terms of a pure bat, uh, it, it, it's him such a good swing from the left side. There's a lot of power in there. It's going to get better. The only knock on him at all is where he fits defensively. He's kind of fringy, so he may end up being a, a left fielder, although I did talk to some, some area scouts who think he'll be just fine in, in right field uh, you know, with, with some work, uh, but it's really the, the, the bat. Uh, he's a really, really good pure hitter. Um, sort of got a couple of comps to like like a Jesse Winker type in terms of like not not a horrific athlete, but not overwhelmingly athletic. But you just love the left-handed swing. And, and Winker, of course, was a, a high school bat coming out of the Florida ranks as well. Jim mentioned not trying to get wrapped up in a small sample size as far as seeing the prep guys. Riley Green, a perfect example of that for me. A tournament of stars, he was out in left field, made an incredible throw home to, to gun down a runner at the plate. And I was like, oh, wow, this guy's a great corner outfielder. Small sample size, but hopefully <laughs> he can get there at some point. All right, Jim, back to you. Picks number eight and nine. Uh, the top two pitchers still available. Yeah, I was kind of hoping Jonathan would go for Carter Stewart, who's from his half of the country, so I could get Josh Young or Riley Green, because uh, I, I believe in their bats. Like, all the stuff Jonathan said about them is right. I am going to go off the board, off the chalk, and I'm going to stick with the all-hitters theme. I'm going to go with two more hitters and, mm. and bypass all of the pitchers available here. I'm going to take... I don't think he's a sleeper because we've ranked him pretty high, but I, I just don't think this guy has been hyped enough or, or has not been hyped as much as he should given his ability. And that's Cameron Meisner at Missouri, the outfielder. You know, And part of the reason he's flying under the radar a little bit, I think, in terms of, of media attention is that he fouled the ball off his foot and he broke it last spring. It cost him two months. He didn't play in the summer, so you didn't see him with Timo Sayer at the Cape. I mean, this is a guy – Who's six foot four, two twenty plus runner, plus raw power, very good field to hit. Was leading NCAA Division One in walks when he got hurt, plus arm. 
you know, chance to play center. If not, he's a prototype right fielder. I think Cameron Meisner has a chance to, to go. It was funny because when I was talking to area scouts about it, I was like, why isn't this guy getting mentioned more? And the area scouts I talked to, and, and they don't make the calls, obviously, on, on who gets picked in the end. I had area scouts tell me this guy legitimately could be the 1-1 pick. Like, he, he's that talented. If he has that kind of season, it's not impossible. And then I ran that by scouting directors, and they're like, yeah. He, you, I was like, do we have him too high if we put him you know, close to top ten? And they're like, no, that guy could, could really even keep moving up. So I'm really enthralled by Cameron Meisner. And then um, I'm not doing this to be mean, but I think this is one of Jonathan's sleepers. I'm going to take Corbin Carroll with the ninth pick, outfielder from uh, Seattle. Um, he, I agree with what Jonathan said, that Riley Green is the best offensive player uh, in high school ranks. I think the best pure hitter is probably either Riley Green or Corbin Carroll. You could probably flip a coin on which way you want to go with that. Corbin does not have Green's power, but he's a well-above-average runner who can play center. He looked really, really good at the Under Armour game. And I think you know, he's not the, the most uh, physical guy in the world, but I, I saw him. I, I think he just really helped himself. You know, with a big summer, he performed you know, pretty much everywhere he went. He performed. I actually got, and this was not meant as a negative, that you know, he see, in terms of a like, West Coast sweet-swinging outfielder who's not real physical, you know, there's some Mickey Moniak parallels there. Um, and he, but he's, I, I talked to a scout. He said, yeah, but he's probably a better runner than Mickey Moniak, and you know we'll, we'll see what happens with Mickey's career. But I, I'm enthralled by Corbin Carroll as well. So since we're only going ten picks deep, uh, I'm going to use picks eight and nine on two guys who, who've kind of caught my eye. All right, final pick back to you, Jonathan. Don't take the it. <laughs> I, I did one of those. You know, you, you look into the draft room, and the team right in front of, of you takes the guy that you wanted to take. So now I'm pounding the table uh, in in. Disgusting. Don't throw shuffling through the wall. Don't throw a chair Shuff- through the wall. Right, shuffling through cards to uh, to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, you know what? I think I think we have to have one pitcher taken, and uh, because as much as the hitters, uh, you could you could easily go with another hitter. Um, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take a chance, and I'm gonna take Brendan Malone, uh, who's number ten uh, overall on our list. And this is the kind of pick that. The teams that like to roll the dice with, with you know, projectable, uh, high-risk, high-reward high schoolers would take. Uh, there's a lot to like uh, about Brendan Malone. He's got one of the better fastballs, especially the high school set, uh, up to 96, 97 uh, at times over the summer. You know, granted in, in shorter stints, uh, he he's got at times a, a plus breaking ball. He's shown a, a solid changeup. None of it was consistent. Even at his best over the summer, he'd show glimpses within an inning, from inning to inning, and then you know it would be a little bit up and down. But he's he's big. He's six three, two hundred, just north of two hundred pounds. Uh, he's he's very athletic. Uh, so you know, most scouts I talk to have a firm belief that uh, those things, combined with the fact that he's got really good makeup and work ethic, he's very coachable. Uh, that he's going to figure those things out consistency-wise and command-wise. Uh, he, he moved from North Carolina to IMG Academy in Florida, which is, which is an interesting move uh, because I was talking to uh, – Jim, I didn't even get a chance to tell you this story, but I was talking to a, a, a cross-checker who was saying he's like, he kind of wished that he had stayed 
uh, mostly because the scout lives in North Carolina. But uh, but also, like, if he stays in North Carolina, he goes out and strikes out, you know, 16, 17 a game, and, and, and you know, the numbers are amazing. And, and yes, they go and, and look at him, but he'll dominate all the time. IMG is going to be a real challenge for him. I think that speaks to his, his wanting to learn and get better. He's going to face better competition. He's going to get better coaching. So I think he's going to put it together. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's one of the high school arms that, that creeps up a, a little bit or at the very least cements himself in the top ten while usually high school arms that are high up kind of re- regress to the, to the mean, so to speak, as we get closer to the draft. Very telling that we talked about it before we got into the draft. The the position players were the strength and not so much the pitching, and there were three pitchers in the actual top ten, uh, but you guys only take one of them in this exercise. So it kind of backs up the point for sure. And we'll see if somebody can catch fire this uh, this spring and, and move on up on the pitching side because we know there are going to be teams that want to take pitchers. They just have to have the guys that are up there and available to take. All right, good stuff. Let's move on to Jerry DePoto, who's busy again, guys. Uh, Jim and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We were discussing whether or not Jerry DePoto tries to make <laughs> trades at the Thanksgiving Day that. table. Uh, and Jim even mentioned that maybe he uses his feet if, uh, if they don't like him to, to be texting during Thanksgiving. But we'll get back <laughs> to that. And here's Jerry DePoto back at it. Two trades, only one of them technically – involves prospects but jp crawford a young player he's just graduated from the prospect rank so let's grade how the mariners did here guys and i'll start with you jim um we'll start with the trade that was technically prospects with the mets he sends cano and diaz over to the mets and the the big pieces of this trade and jared kelnick number 62 in the top 100 and justin dunn number 89 kelnick by the way a friend of the podcast um both go to seattle Jim, do you like this move from a prospect standpoint? Well, yeah, I think you have to because he didn't give up any prospects, and he, he got three interesting guys. I mean, you guys know I love Jared Kelnick. Ever since I had a scout compare him to Mark Kotze with more athleticism. And I think Justin Dunn made some real nice strides last year, and Gerson Batista's got a live arm. Um, you know, I guess financially – the finances are over my head a little bit because I, cause you have Cano and, and I mean Bruce and Swarzak's contracts coming back. Yeah, I mean I I, I I guess I like the trade from the Mariners' standpoint, looking at it from their end, because if you're going to rebuild, you might as well really rebuild rather than kind of do it halfway. I I think there's something to be said for trading a reliever like a closer like Edwin Diaz, while he had a great season last year. Closers are, A, somewhat volatile historically. There are very few who are dominant year in, year out. And, B, they're kind of a luxury if your team's not very good. So I, I, I like selling at the high, you know, high point of, of Diaz. You know, the, the one thing that I think it's overlooked a little bit, and I know Cano got suspended for, for PEDs, but he still had a pretty good year offensively, even though he only played half a season. So I think there's still some value. It's not like Robinson Cano was a – a useless player. He may not be a very good second baseman anymore, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I'll be, I think it'll be very interesting to look back at this trade, say, three years from now and, and see what it actually did for both sides. But, but I understand what Seattle's trying to do, and I think it makes a lot of sense. I think all three of us, when these trades happen, tend to lean towards liking the prospect side of things. But, Jonathan, I'm going to make you look at this from the Mets' standpoint. Do you like what they've done? Do they get enough for those prospects? Um, you know, my, my first instinct it was no, 
Um, you know, and some of that just has to do with and without, you know, our job is to look at the prospects. Uh, you know, I didn't dig that deep into the Mets big league roster. Uh, you know, they clearly feel that uh, they can compete. They can compete uh, in the big leagues. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. A lot of that's going to be dependent on, on the starting pitching and if it can stay healthy. If they can, they can stay healthy, then, yeah, I could see that they feel uh, maybe they have a window uh, because those arms aren't going to stay healthy or, or be under control forever. Uh, so why not take a shot? Um, you, you don't trade for a closer unless you think you're going to compete. Now, I guess the flip side is if things go sideways, Diaz becomes a very tradable commodity in July. Uh, not that uh, I think they're thinking about that right now. Um, I, I just think that if you look through a uh, history of trades of, uh, you know, sort of aging superstars like Robinson Cano, I don't think they typically go all that well. Um, but we'll have, to, we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens. I think it was good for them that they were able to uh, ship Bruce and Swarzak. Uh, to offset you know some of the money, um, I guess we're going to get to see Brandon Nimmo play every day, uh, you know, continue to play every day. Uh, so uh, and it, you know and then there's a little more room at first base. I think they still need to figure out what they're going to do there. So I, I'm I'm a taking a wait and see approach. I guess I'm a little dubious that it's going to do for them what they think it's going to do in terms of you know, turning them into a, a major NL East contender. All right, let's move on to the other trade. Um, Seattle gets J.P. Crawford and also Carlos Santana. Gene uh, Segura, Juan Nicasio, James Pazos go the other way to the Phillies. This is interesting to me because J.P. Crawford was supposed to be the Phillies shortstop of the future. Um, just a couple of years ago, he was a top 10 prospect, and they trade him away to get, I guess, their shortstop of now. Gene uh, Segura basically becomes what they hoped J.P. Crawford would become, and maybe the timeline of them competing for much of 2018 made them have to lose patience in J.P. Crawford. Um, but, Jonathan, I'll let you go from the Mariners' standpoint. Do you Have you given up on J.P. Crawford, or do you think this is a nice get by the Mariners to get a guy like Crawford in a deal like this? I haven't given up on him. I think, I think this is a really important year. Uh, not that he has to go out and put up huge numbers, I think first and foremost he needs to stay healthy for a full season and actually get a full season's worth of at bats because he hasn't had that. You know, even in 2018, you know, he struggled, uh, and then he was, you know, he was performing better, and then he was hurt. So, you know, I don't think we've really seen everything J.P. Crawford is capable of at, at the big league level. Now, that said. Yeah, every time we ranked him and we ranked him highly, I kept waiting because, you know, eventually a guy has to produce. You know, he has to perform. He's got to put up some numbers. And, and J.P. Crawford had some okay seasons in the minors. His, his on-base uh, skills have always been off the charts. He never hit a ton. You know, he doesn't run that well. He's a really good defender, uh, although he had some inconsistencies there. So I, I think this was going to be a good situation for him. I think it was a good it was a good get by the Mariners. It's in effect getting uh, a, you know another uh, high level top 100 prospect who maybe has slipped a, a little bit, but I think he's going to be about 24 for all the the 2019 season. And I think the whole team is rebuilding. They're young. There's not a 
huge expectation for them to to win it all, you know, this year and not even next year. So hopefully he can just go out and play shortstop every day, and then we'll kind of see at the end of the year what adjustments he's made, how he's matured, uh, how he's improved in all facets of his game. Uh, maybe maybe a change of scenery is exactly what he needed. Jim, from my standpoint looking at this deal, it was exactly what the Phillies needed on multiple fronts. Gene Segura steps into the shortstop position that was a question mark in 2018. Plus, you get rid of Carlos Santana, which means Reese Hoskins gets to move to first base full-time, and you get some bullpen help as well. That said, um, was what they gave away enough? Or too much, rather, I should phrase it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, like, <laughs> like Jerry to put in get it. No, I thought the trade was great from the Phillies' standpoint, to be honest. Uh, you know, I, I think the guys they gave up have value. Um, I haven't given up on J.P. Crawford, but I guess I've revised my expectations of him. I mean, he hasn't really hit in AAA at all. And you might be looking at a guy who's like a 250 guy who draws some walks and, and has a little power, but he's, he's just not much of an offensive guy. Um and, you know, Santana, you know, that signing never made sense. I don't know why anybody ever thought Reese Hoskins could play left field. He can hit. He can't play left field. Um, you know, by defensive metrics, the Phillies are one of the worst defensive teams ever this year. And, and so, you know, getting rid of Santana is a huge defensive upgrade, and it saves you money. Um, getting rid of Crawford and upgrading him to Gene Segura is a huge upgrade, at least for the immediate future, and you got some bullpen help too. So I, you know, a I think that's a really nice trade. It does exactly what the Phillies want to do. You know, maybe they'll regret it if J.P. Crawford turns out to be a star. I don't necessarily think that's a high likelihood of happening. And you know, we just talked about the Mets trade. I agreed with Johnson's sentiments where. I'm not sure, like, they're really going to be better than the fourth-place team in that division. You know, it's nice that they're going for it. But I think the Phillies, you know, upgraded themselves more with their trade than the Mets did with theirs. And we saw the Nationals sign Corbin and the Braves won the division title and, and have a young team that's probably going to get better. It, it's going to be an uphill uphill climb for the uh, uphill climb for the Mets. The NL East is the one division in baseball with four teams going for it. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch next summer. For sure. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Great stuff by you guys putting the top 50 together. Everyone should check that out on MLBPipeline.com. We want to thank Adley Rutschman for joining us, the number one guy on that list, a great guest as always. Jerry Depoto, I don't know what he's going to do next week at the winter meetings after all these deals, but I'm sure he still has something up his sleeve. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. 